Boom. All right. What's up, Ryan? RP, what's up, man? RP, baby. Yeah. What's going uh, on? Wanted to make this episode. Came out, for those that don't know, came out to visit a facility called New Athlete here in Vancouver. And uh, got acquainted with Ryan through Universal Speed Rating and uh, met him out in L.A. And then started tuning into some of the stuff he's doing with his athletes, paying attention to his social media, and kind of doing stuff different than a lot of people in the country. And I uh, came out here to visit, so we're actually doing this one in person. Um, came out to visit and kind of see what he's doing, see what I can take back to good old Pocatello. Yes, sir. And uh, use with some of my athletes there and also in my own training. So I'll give the floor to Ryan to kind of uh, let us know a little about his facility, how he got into it, how long he's been doing it, athletes, whatnot. So go ahead. Thanks, man. Uh, it's pretty awesome to have you come out. Um, I actually got started in 24-hour fitness, and it took me about four months to realize that I was not cut out for that type of training, and it was horrible. So then um, I took the leap and said I'm going to start my own gig, and my wife was like, you got two weeks to make this happen. So... I went from one to three to 33 athletes in two weeks wow. and pissed a lot of people off doing it. Um, Cause this, this area is very catty in that if a trainer has an athlete, they somehow have this unspoken ownership over that athlete. And when some of those athletes started to venture out and look at what I was doing, even if it was bad, that started to rub feathers and people didn't like it so um basically i would take uh, my equipment in my truck and i'd drive track to track and i would train people for speed yeah but they had no clue what i was doing it was just running dudes through drills and it's probably more one of those things back then of you give an athlete that's sedentary anything and you're going to see a result yeah so that's what we did Sure. Not, not saying that these athletes were sedentary, but they just never been exposed to that type of training. And as good or bad as it may or may not have been, we got a result. Yeah. So then, um, you know, I did that during the summer. And, and if you know the Northwest here, the summers, it, it does not rain or it's very rare. But once once the floodgates open in mid-October, it's, it's like that till May. But I didn't know that. And growing up in New York... If it was snowing out and we wanted to train, we would just go and say, screw it. There's snow on the field and we play with snow, so let's go train. Uh, but kids out here don't do that. So I needed to find an indoor spot. And first facility opened up in a warehouse and it's kind of evolved to what we have today. Nice. A couple things I wanted to hit on that is number one, I thought the point of like, at the end of the day, it should be about the athlete, and it bothers me in this industry that, like, people think they own the athlete, right? It's like whatever is the best option for them in their journey. Uh, I wish trainers would be more open to that. And then the second thing was uh, a lot of coaches actually asked me, like, how do you get started? What's, what's the route? And I, everybody I talk to, you know, that's been in the industry a long time, it's always like you just have to make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just, like you said, you might not know exactly what you're doing, but as long as it's like somewhat safe for the athletes and you're learning as you go, it's like that's where everybody starts. Everybody thinks that they get like a certain degree or whatnot, right? Like I got my exercise science degree and I would say it taught, like I use like 5% of it now. Like a lot of it doesn't have to do, like it all really comes from experience, um, 
and you have to get that experience somehow. So I think the number one way is like find someone like yourself or like my facility where you can go and learn and because you are going to get force fed so much information quickly that you would have all, like basically we're giving away, you know, for you 22 something years in industry, for me 12, like we're just feeding them as much information as we can from what we found to actually be useful over time. So like taking the painstaking process of taking 12 years to learn it or 22 yeah. years to learn it. And then you have an opportunity to go, and even if you're working for free, you're able to get all that knowledge, which is invaluable, for or sure. at least, a, or at least a glimpse into it, right? So, uh, those those two points kind of popped into my head, and I want you to kind of highlight. I mean, you were telling me yesterday just roughly the numbers of athletes you've worked with and their yeah. successes. Um, spitball some of those numbers of like how many people you've worked with and whatnot. Shoot, uh, we've tipped over seven thousand athletes in little over 22 years, uh, 1,300 collegiate athletes, over 1,000 D1 athletes, over 140 NFL athletes. Um, I mean, it's it's crazy. And up until, yeah. honestly, up until a year and a half ago, I had no idea what the numbers were. Because yeah. I just didn't, to me it was like, whatever. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. Let's just keep training. There's a new body that comes in. Let's figure out what's wrong and go fix them. Yeah. And then when you actually look at, what you've done it's like holy crap i yeah. had no idea and it's like 200 and i don't know two, almost 280 different colleges or universities that we've had athletes to and yeah it's it's pretty wild yeah it's nutty um so obviously over time you've what you're doing is working athletes are loving it i came in yesterday and got completely smashed and i've been you know training my whole life and the stuff where i was doing yesterday I've been exposed to like little bits and pieces of it, but never like the way it was put together, nor the like duration and length and the way the way that you do it. Um, and it's funny because I asked a couple of your, so some of your coaches now or people that had trained with you, uh, particularly uh, Mitch. And one of the first things he said is like the word on the street was like he heard that there was this crazy guy RP that does all this weird stuff, right? And then and then he comes over and tries it out and then falls in love with it. Um, but what you do really is like a from all the gyms I've been to, uh, it's it's different than what I see in like 90, well actually any gym really. Yep. Like people have different pieces of this, but the way you've put it together and implemented it from what you've learned from different sources or people, like you're running it uh, in a way that's definitely like a, a formula for you guys. Um, so I want you to go in just a little bit and explain kind of, kind of some of the stuff you do um, you know, you don't do a lot of traditional lifting like you'll see in gyms. You kind of focus on different muscle actions and the way you do it. So maybe just like a, a brief overview without giving away all your secrets of like the stuff you do. Yeah, so uh, this would have been, I want to say around 2003, 2004. Um, actually in 02 is when I got my first ARP machine. So that electric modality was piggybacked by a guy named Jay Schroeder. And Schroeder was famous for training Adam Archuleta, Dwight Freeney, uh, Jason Taylor, Edron James. He's had a ton of guys, Carlos Dansby. Um, but anyways, Jay was steeped in the Eastern Bloc type style of training, but he also mixed in what the Egyptians would do and the Greeks would do. And you even, even the mention of Greeks training and Egyptians training, no one touches on that. Yeah. And I mean, you got to like wormhole deep down to yeah. figure out what 
they're doing on this stuff. And then even on to uh, Ivan Abajiev, who is a world-renowned strength coach from Bulgaria, and he's banned in like seven different countries. <laughs> um, I'm not, I don't really remember what it was for, but I just know that Abajiev was known for his athletes smashing records while they were trained, I'm sorry, while they were injured because he would figure out ways to train around them. Yeah. So getting in touch with Jay was my first introduction to any type of isometric work, um, you know, and then dynamic isometrics and then into rebounds or what we call altitudes and, and just moving weight excessively fast, but not moving weight. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely not traditional lifting, but with that, um, if you didn't know Jay back then, the next closest thing would have possibly been uh, Cal Dietz yeah. or Buddy Morris. There's some some inroads with those guys. Uh, now I've never met Cal Dietz or Buddy Morris, but I know that there's some crossover between the three of them. And up to now, the next name that I've ever come across that has anything to do with isometrics is uh, Alex Natera. And he's doing his uh, isometric course through Sportsmith. And it's the only thing that I've found that even brushes on what Jay used to do. Yeah. So Schroeder was my introduction to ISOs and it just, it made sense to me. Yeah. And the more that we started to implement that with athletes and the better results that I saw and the health of the athlete, that's what, that, to me it was like, why are more people not doing this? Yeah. It doesn't make sense to continue bashing our heads into the floor with Olympic lifting when I really still to to this day I don't understand why Olympic lifting is the go-to. Yeah. And I'm not trying to vilify it because I've seen very very good coaches have amazing results. But I mean if we're talking the mass population of how many people do Olympic lifting, why are there not more dogs that come out of that type of system? Yeah. And I know cream always rises to the top, but it's you know it just doesn't make sense for sure um yeah and like layman's terms what i got from going through that work like and observing is it's like you know you're finding ways to a understand gravity forces like it's really a lot of it feels like it's mastering controlling your body weight moving at fast speeds right like yep. when it comes to like the altitude drops and stuff like that and then using implements that most people will be like, oh, those are light implements, right? But then when you look at the way you do it and how it's moving through through space and then you're re reversing it, catching it, uh, the for I don't think a lot of people will probably understand the forces that are generated by that. Yep. And then how with it, if you know, if you can actually move it quickly, it has to be a lightweight. Like if you are trying to do a heavy weight, you're, not, you're just not gonna be able to move it as fast. And sport, obviously athletes, everything they do I mean, the best are always the fastest and they're able to contract the fastest um, and whatnot. And so that's that's kind of like the layman's terms of like the, why it doesn't look traditional is there's not people loading up a ton of heavy weight. Yep. It's all like lighter implements, but people are, you know, the way they're doing it is creating more force and like the naked eye is going to walk in and be like, oh, why aren't they banging heavy weights? But the athletes are actually, you know, reducing and redirecting a, a ton of weight mm -hmm. per se due to physics. Yep versus like just on the bar. So uh, I went through, yeah, I went through that workout yesterday and like it blasted me. And I was like, I didn't expect that cause I'm in fairly good shape and like my body just felt 
Like it was crazy, like the energy systems I was moving through and how my body felt um, in that first set. It's pretty wild. Yeah, like it, it's very humbling for sure. <laughs> and I'm sure you have a lot of athletes that come in that are really, really good in the weight room uh, to their knowledge of uh, and what they do. And yeah. then they come in and it's like, you know, you probably have some guys walk out just because of how it is. They do, and I think this is not a, an indictment on traditional lifting, but I think a lot of athletes, especially in today, they want that instant gratification of, I just put five more pounds on the bar today than I did last week. And my argument is, okay, did you actually get better, or did you have a song on that excited you more than yeah. you normally would have been? Maybe your girlfriend said yes. Yeah, I don't know, for something. Sure. But you know, I could piss an athlete off and get a five pound increment in anything, mm -hmm. but I haven't done anything to change their athleticism. I've just changed a metric on a bar, yeah. which there's no carryover to. So we could take our youngest athletes and teach them how to absorb force just with their body weight. They're going to get faster just because the more force they can absorb, the more they can produce. Yeah. So to me, I, it really started to hit home when I started getting into martial arts and I would spar against different degree black belts. And there really is no difference other than the first degree and the eighth degree are the exact same thing from a fundamental standpoint, but the eighth degree hits way harder than the first degree. Yeah. Now there is gonna be some more knowledge and more things from the eighth to the first, but fundamentally, the punch is no different. It just comes with a heck of a lot more heat. Yeah. So to me, it's like, if that's where it's really coming from, from the brain, and from a signaling standpoint and a stimulus standpoint, it makes more sense to do what we're doing with a ton of visualization of when the athlete's in an isometric lunge in our mind, and they're activating it the way we want them to, they're thinking 23 miles an hour. 24 or I don't care if they can't achieve that yeah. but if the bar is being set higher and they're outputting a bigger physiological and neurological stimulus yeah. to the exercise it's only going to bump them up when they go out onto the track yeah so the other way that I look at this is and, and we got into this when we started dealing with less um, Spellman for those that don't understand what less means it was like okay well we have to have a massive neural jump for max velocity mm -hmm. but that's exactly what we're doing in the weight room yeah and i've heard other coaches say you can't train speed in the weight room i think that's a load of crap yeah. you can if you do it right yep. and to me if i'm going okay well are you saying that you can't train speed in the weight room because you're only visually looking at someone sprinting therefore you equate that to speed if we're looking at the neural output from a sprint and you felt it yesterday in the lunge, yeah. they're very, very similar. It's just, it's a longer duration of that same intensity. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my mindset and my logic with that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really brilliant. And I wish I had been kind of turned on to it earlier just because it's true. And it's like a lot of it too, when you get back to just basics is like, what do you see in sport? What are the demands versus in the weight room and you know you're not trying to mimic sport in the weight room but you're you're trying to get the same stimulus neuro, like neurologically yeah. right and and speed wise because it's like 
you don't see there's no barbells and weights on the field, right? It's like all mm -hmm. body weight mastery, being able to fire the, the best athletes move the smoothest, they're very efficient, and they're powerful when they need to be, right? And so it all makes sense, like when you actually come in and see it, and uh, if you kind of understand basic principles of, of physiology in the body and how it works, but it, it was all, it's all interesting because you don't, I don't, haven't seen it anywhere else. I'm sure other people out there or doing something along the lines, right? But uh, they're not, like right now, you're the most successful doing it uh, that I've heard of or know of, mm -hmm. right? And it's just a whole nother way to train. And, and I was telling you this morning, like going through it, like I've been, I'm sore in places that uh, I haven't really been sore in my hips and in my legs. And uh, in one day, like, I've had a lot of experience doing this and I still wasn't, I knew I had some, a little bit of pain from past injuries and maybe some weaknesses, but I wasn't really like as, I hadn't really figured out exactly, you know, a great way to attack those. Mm -hmm. And in one day of just doing this type of stuff, it was very apparent, like where I had some weaknesses and I'm, I'm like sore in the areas that I know need to be improved. But just through my traditional lifting and whatnot, I hadn't really been able to target those like I feel like I was able to yesterday yep. and that's one thing I want you to expound on is like I think the way you do things a is going to improve a lot of metrics that aren't thought about as much uh, in terms of mobility and movement and maybe a little bit about that and then um, talk a little bit about some of the re like success you've had as you have you so for those listening uh, inside the facility there's also a PT some chiropractic whatnot but you've had an opportunity to work with a lot of athletes mm -hmm. that are injured and getting them back to sport, which is still an industry, like still a huge gap, I feel like, like from what I see with traditional PT to clearing kids to play sport and all their testing we've ever done with those kids that get cleared after PT is they're not even close to where they were at before they got injured. Yep. And really they should hopefully be coming back better so they don't get injured again. Yep. Um, so I just gave you a lot to talk about. but So basically when an athlete comes in and I'm giving you kind of the end result of a constantly evolving process. Yeah. So prior to getting in with USR, um, we went down the rabbit hole with Gota and Gota, like a lot of programs will swear that you have to do only what they're doing. Yeah. And they're going to look for video evidences and they're going to look for different things to back up exactly what they're saying but also ignore other parts of movement patterns that don't fit the scheme that they're trying to, or it doesn't fit what their narrative is. So you deep dive on that and you're like, okay, there's clearly some very obvious things that they're talking about that you then are seeing in your own practice that you can't deny. Okay, so check that box can't deny that that's like going well the sky isn't always blue well really yeah because i i see a lot of evidence that proves that it is um so then you got you've got that then you start to look at some of the holes that are in that system so you've kind of got that veil and then you go back to like the ultra fit stuff with schroeder and that was extremely linear based anti-rotational but neurologically off the charts but there's holes in it because in his system you never run yeah which doesn't make sense but 
And the idea was that if you physiologically are running and visualizing in that rep, you should be able to go out and do it on the floor or the court or whatever because you've already done it mentally. And I think there is something to that, but that's extremely difficult to get the little eight-year-old to come in and go, hey, think about being in the NFL. I know you're only eight, <laughs> and Santa Claus is coming this year, but go 100% on this. Yeah. You can't. But then, so you have that. Then you look at the GOTA side, and then you look at the USR side, which is the first time that we ever had even thought about profiling or finding deficiencies in speed through data. Yeah. You blend all that together, and I believe that's the best way to go and attack the low-hanging fruit on all the athletes. Because it's, it's easy to take you know, a kid that runs 22 and go, is there really much more that I can do to him? He's pretty freaking fast to begin with. I guess my job would be not to screw him up. Yeah. But I don't want to do that. Why can't we get him up to 23.5, maybe even 24? Um, but at the same time, that 22-mile-an-hour kid has had constant shin splints and hamstrings. So we're not only going to take a side-angle view of it, a data view of it, but I want to get a front angle view of it, which would be the, I guess, the GOTA eyes. Um, and for the record, I'm, I'm not associated with GOTA. They, they didn't like that I got involved with less, and I don't have a problem saying it. Yeah. And I really don't care if it pisses them off. Um, but, you know, I appreciate the knowledge. There's parts that we use. You experienced a little bit of that yesterday. But it's not an end-all, be-all. Yeah. And I have guys that were their quote-unquote poster child poster children, whatever you want to call it, that hit me up because they were going, I felt great, but I had no juice on the field. Yeah. And that's, that's a reoccurring theme that I got when we deep dived into Gota and we switched everything, basically dropped UltraFit, which had been working for 20 years, dumped everything for Gota. Guys were feeling great, but they had no sauce. Yeah. And it's like, and, and I almost went out of business. And I would even talk to them and go, look, I'm dying over here. Yeah. I got to be doing some of my older stuff or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. And, you know, they would just hammer, hammer, hammer. No, you got to stick to it, stick to it. And then finally it's like, screw this. Yeah. And then one of the beauties that I found with Les is he's like, I really don't care what you do in the weight room. Yeah. If you want to do conjugate, do conjugate. If you want to do GOTA, do GOTA. If you want to do this, do this. My system doesn't dictate what you do it's just there yeah. the numbers are what they are based on what stimuluses you put into it and that was that was really weird for me because i've been in frc i've been in you know kin stretch and all that kind of stuff and that's a very good system but it's also limited yeah so but they they will kind of almost cabal you in a way that if you're doing this cert only do this cert yeah. And that's kind of how every entity has been until I linked up with Les. And that was yeah. that was weird at first because I was waiting for, all right, well, what's the next ball that I have to got to drop all this stuff and sell that piece of equipment because that doesn't fit the fit the system. Yeah. No, I like that. And you kind of hit on what I brought up earlier and what I'm noticing is like really you've taking the time and energy to dive into each one of these disciplines. Um, but then you've been able to take the things that work for you yep. 
and then create the new athlete formula with all this different stuff. And all of it has its place. It has its things that are good. But uh, like you said, they try, like most organizations try to just create, like you have to do exactly what we're saying. Yep. Uh, but you've been able to blend all this together. And, you know, Gota is interesting in, in a sense because like we talked about yesterday, I brought up is a lot of my best athletes naturally and my fastest and my strongest and kids that are going to go to probably play in professional level they all have tendencies to move the same way and some of that fits within that go to profile yep. right yep. but that's can't be just the only piece of the puzzle right like it's like they move a certain way but okay if they already move that way you know we have to keep we have to keep driving stimulus in other manners so they can create force yep. and, and whatnot right not just like make a move a certain way and then you're good so it's interesting how I do like some of that, and I would say 90% of my athletes that come in in the beginning or even now don't move that way, and they are athletes that do have nagging injuries, and it seems like my ones that do move like that are pretty healthy mm -hmm. in general. So I think there is something to that. Um, so that's, that's what's interesting is it's like, but they want you to only do one thing, and you're like, no, no, no. You got to make create your own blend. You got to do all these different things. There's, I think there's, just to touch on what you were talking about with like your top guys and them having what would be as close to what Goda would want. Yeah. They probably also have as close to what USR would want. Yeah. And they probably also have as close to what this system or that system has. But then when you step back and you watch them run on the field, you're like, that. That's he's a dude that just has it. You yeah. just watch him move. Yep. And he moves differently. And it would be amazing if all these systems could speak to each other mm -hmm. and put their egos aside. And I'm not saying or implying that each one has. They do to a certain extent. Yeah. But, you know, again, like with less is like, well, I don't care. If yeah. that's what you want to do, then knock yourself out. But all yeah. the other ones are like, no, don't do speed. Yeah. Don't run. Okay, well, but I play a sport where I have to run. Yeah. Well, yeah, but don't do it. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. So, cool. I guess I'm going to have to find a different program to train in. Or I'm going to be limited on what knowledge I have that I got from a system. I'm going to use it to the extent that I know and pray to God that I don't have an injury or I don't find myself in a position that something bad is going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, like everything the buzz is on Rogers right now, that thing was going to pop whether he was on grass or turf Yeah. because of the positioning of the ankle. And, and for people to vilify turf for that particular injury is, in my mind, is stupid, especially when you consider how you watch the ankle collapse. And then he's got a 260-pound dude on top of him. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure anybody would pop at the same time. For sure, in that position with that weight, yeah. Yeah, and what I'm surprised is if you if you watch Rogers over the years of how he moves, I don't recall him trying to get out of that type of position. He would just go down. Yeah. And I think that's why he's never really had major injuries. Same with Brady, outside yeah. of the ACL, but I'm pretty sure that was contact. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of digressing, but, again, it goes back to – you know, if I'm seeing something, I don't want to just go, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what to do with that. 
yeah. there has to be a solution. And yeah. you know, the data is going to say pretty much the same thing that the video is saying. For sure. Or maybe we're not quite there yet. Yeah, but it's definitely going to you're definitely going to see benchmarks that are going to be like there's red flags over here in the data world. Yeah, you got to you got to pay attention to something. The video, there's there's red flags right there. You got to pay attention to that. Yeah. And and the, to that point, too, is like that's why you need all these different pieces. And to bring it back to like you talked about, you know, you're going to have athletes that walk in that just got it like and they're pretty good at everything. Yep. But then you're going to get kids that are pretty bad at everything or kids that are really good in Maybe they look really good in these two sectors of your education, but in these two, they're bad. So it's like, I think you do, do you, need, you need that wide breadth of skill sets and tools to to help each athlete in the way that they need because a majority of athletes aren't going to walk in and have it. So the best coaches are the ones that can take those athletes yep. and elevate them across the board, and then they become an athlete that does have it, right? Because some people are born with it, and that's just how they move for whatever reason. Maybe they crawled more as a kid in the go-to world or whatever. It's like there's just yep. different things that happen and circumstances where athletes just come in with different skill sets. And um, if you only have one one hole to try to shove that athlete through, like you're not going to be successful with the majority of the athletes yep. that you have. And one thing that's interesting about Rogers this last year, and I'm not vilifying like traditional weightlifting at all, but he came in that year and said that he had, I saw a statement from him and he said he'd been getting after the weights more than normal and lifting in the weight room. I hadn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he, he had stated in the, like the preseason that he, this was the year he had lifted the most in the weight room and was making a ton of strength progress in PRs. Um, and maybe it's just coincidence that this is the year he happened to get hurt, right? Maybe the way he was lifting and whatnot was starting to strengthen him in positions that he, maybe he wouldn't have got into naturally. And so now he's, you know, dropping that inside ankle bone. He's been squatting a lot, whatever. Um, so that, that's all interesting. Not to look more into that, but it's it's entirely possible. But yeah. it, the thing is, is that there was a period of time where you get in and you, and you look and you go, oh, there's the injury, and then you deep dive on who yeah. he trained with, and then you go and attack that person or For attack sure. what they're doing. And it's like that's so stupid. That's Twitter. Yeah, it is, it is the Twitter champion. Somebody gets hurt, and then all of a sudden, there's a thousand Achilles experts, and you're like, "Where, where were you at?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, before, but before. then, but then on top of that, you're you've got people that have subscribed to a certain ideology or methodics, but they themselves have never trained anyone, yeah. but they're the expert to everything. Yep, it's like the health experts for sure, and and people are gonna like athletes are gonna get hurt. Like even if you have the best system in the entire world. Let's say like somehow you quantified that and you're like, you have the best system. And somebody's gonna get hurt. Yep. Like athletics come with the risk of, of getting hurt through contact. Obviously when you see non-contact injuries, you're like, oh, that might've been a little bit more avoidable. But like when you're banging up on each other or you're volleyball and you're jumping up and somebody undercuts you at the net and you land, like it's like, there's nothing you can do, nope. you know, with, with us or in our facilities that are gonna stop that injury from happening. And that's tough as a coach sometimes too, is just being okay with that. Like you're like, cause you really connect, you become friends with these kids and coaches oh, sure. and, and mentors. And then, you know, you feel a responsibility when stuff like that happens. I feel like uh, every trainer that's been in it for a while, you know, every everyone has a logo that's pristine and it's clean and it's nice. I would almost rather have the logo that looks like it's been run through the ringer, yeah. beat up, it's chipped, it's cracked. 
because every trainer has had some athlete that they're like, oh my gosh, this is my guy, and something happens, yeah. and it's like, frick, are you kidding? And it's almost like you take it personal because you've, sure. you've invested so much time and effort and energy to them. They've given you that or they've reciprocated that and it didn't work out. Yeah. We had one, like we knock on wood, we're lucky. We've only had one, one like uh, ACL tear in a soccer role that we've trained for like an extended amount of time. And uh, it's crazy, man. Like she would have been the last athlete based on how she moved, I would assume. And she picked up basketball her senior year just for fun after she already committed for soccer, hadn't played in four years. Literally first play, like first down and back on the court, just tears her ACL. No way, that like, sucks. Just went, somebody went to drill by her just to cut, to tears her ACL and blows our minds because we're like, everything about her looks like she's not going to do that. Yep. Um, and that ripped us up. But she, well, the good side was is, uh, she, I mean, she got back was able, and stepped on the college soccer field in eight months and was able to start playing. Like, she, between that transition, she worked her ass off, but... She's still playing? Yeah. So she her. had that base to where she was able to recover faster from that injury. Like, mm -hmm. that's the perks, I think, of doing this type of stuff, too, is, like, when if something does happen like that, your body, it seems like you're able to get back from that quicker and maintain some of the strength you had and, and whatnot. So she was able to show up the day she was supposed to and be ready to play mm -hmm. with a brace on. But um, that was big for us. But I know you've shared with me, I mean, with the type of stuff you're doing in here, like I wish I knew a little bit, I implemented some more of this stuff with her on the way back because you, I mean, you had stated that you guys were able to get people back from like, we'll just use ACL as an example because that's like a very common injury with athletes and it typically takes nine months to a year. Um, you know, doing this kind of stuff, getting the, their nervous system firing, and uh, the different types of mobility and drills and stuff you do, like you've been able to get athletes back pretty fast. Yeah, there was, we had a run where, so I've, I've rehabbed personally over 100 ACLs. Yeah. And the fastest was two weeks, and that, I know that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but through the use of the ARP and heavy, heavy ISOs, the ACL had actually reattached on its own. Wow. And I know people think I'm, batshit crazy to even say that yeah but if the environment is right the body is designed to heal itself yep but i would never advertise that because it's like that's like going uh i yeah you train here i'll get you a scholarship yeah i mean that's as crazy as that is but normal post-op acl is about 12 to 14 weeks yeah the problem is um if insurance is involved that's going to be a little bit different Yep. But most of the PT education is it's stuck in a book and it's a number and you can't violate that number. Yeah. It's six to eight months period. And now we're starting to see the nine to 12 months come back. Yep. And I've even got, uh, I had a kid that came in that was on month 15. It's crazy. And was not running. And I, I don't, I don't understand. I'm like, how did we go back to 1980 on ACL rehab? I mean that's crazy. Well, you you got to get more visits. <laughs> yeah, <geez. laughs> you know what I'm saying. That's that just blows my mind. But the problem was the athlete was so scared to do anything Terrified. dynamic. Yeah. That we had, we had to overcome the fear before we could even worry about moving. Yep. And it's it just I, I don't understand it. If it's a money thing, I guess I get it. Yeah. From an insurance standpoint, but how could you, in good faith, unless you are so married to what you're doing? 
Yeah. That you essentially ignore everything else that's in the industry in, yeah. in your PT world. Yeah. I mean, how can you, how can you go, oh my gosh, that guy in the NFL came back in six months. Yeah. I mean, Adrian Peterson did it in three. And that's to the highest levels of movement. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, they have to be ready to go. Yeah. In the NFL. <laughs> but, but this, this little girl who is in a, she's healthy. Yeah. She should heal fast. And you're at 15 months. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good, like, I think that brings into light, like, also a lot of, in that world, they'll terrify the kid to do stuff. And yeah. it's like, I think the faster you can get back into like that performance mindset with an athlete that's been hurt and uh, getting them to buy into like getting after it to get better and not that like you have to wait this amount of time no matter what. Yep. I think that's huge because I do think probably a lot of those slow recoveries are like you said, more themselves holding them, like holding themselves back because they're scared Yep. and they don't want to get like getting hurt. It, it can be scary. Like I tore my Achilles, I tore my quadricep tendon. Like I've had some pretty bad injuries, and it can be terrifying for some. I was like, I'm just dumb, so I always like would get back to doing things as quick as I could, yep. even if I wasn't supposed to, because I figured like if it doesn't hurt too bad, then it's okay. And I think I wasn't knowledgeable enough. Like I missed some stuff for sure. Like we found out yesterday, but I've been able to get back to doing everything I love to do at a decent level for mm -hmm. my age and. And, uh, but I see athletes all the time that even the smallest injuries, like they'll just, they'll be terrified. Even if, even if they like are kind of pulled their hamstring or they have a hurt ankle and they're out, I mean, they don't want to do anything yep. and they're just like scared to do things. And the way to get better faster is to get the body moving, like get the body trusting again and moving and going through. Yeah, for so, sure. Excuse me, sorry. That, you're fine. I can just cut that out. Um, so that's a good point. And, I, and lastly, I, we've mentioned the ARP a couple times, um, just for those listening, if there's some people listening that are interested in it, like just a little bit of like what it is, how it works, and how you use it on the body. So the ARP is an electric modality um, that identifies where the electrical disconnect is in the muscle itself. So in the PT goggles, if you throw those on, I'm, it's identifying the sodium potassium leakage in the cell. So once we can identify where that is the greatest, that responds to inflammation, which if inflammation is left long enough, it will form scar tissue. If scar tissue is left long enough, it will begin to create osteophytes and then osteoblasts and then bone and, or you'll calcify. Mm -hmm. um, I, I messed the time frame up on that. So if you've ever seen a kid that has Osgood slaughters, mm -hmm. severe, I mean, you, it looks like an elbow below their knee on the tibial tuberosity. Yep. And it, it's horrendously painful because that ligament is being constantly inflamed or torn or stretched. Um, but a lot of that is because the quad can't absorb force and all that force is being sent to that particular point. So what does that have to do with the ARP? The ARP identifies where that muscle is shut down. Mm -hmm. So it brings that muscle back online to absorb force, which then redirects the force or absorbs it from going to that ligament, tendon, bone. Yeah. So that's, that's essentially what the ARP does. It's the patient or the client comes in and goes, the ARP healed me. Well, technically, no. Yeah. The ARP removed what was preventing you from healing you. Yeah. But that sounds way less sexy. 
for sure. So is there a way, like, you know, that obviously there's STEM units available to general public. Is there ways for them to kind of get some of that benefit with those? Like if they went and purchased those, or is this kind of, you need a professional to kind of help you with that? ARP basically went the illegal route and sold them to individuals without a medical license. And the reason I know this is because I was one of them and I never should have had the ARP. But I did because yeah. they're like, all right, well, you you seem kind of cool and you train people. So twenty two thousand dollars for your first one. Yeah. And my wife thought I was an idiot. Um, to me, back then, it was like, I don't care. I saw what I saw. Yeah. I can't unsee it. I know there's something there. I'll be I'll be dumb enough to chase the penny. Yeah. And um, which is probably also why I've done so damn many certs. Yeah. Because I see something, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that that's the thing. Yeah. And then you get in, and it's like, well, it's got some good stuff, but it's not the end all be all. Nope. Yeah. There's the new one. Yeah. There's the new one. But anyways, with the ARP, um, you can buy them as an individual. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is the education for it is extremely limited, and the way that ARP operates is they essentially hold you hostage to they have all the knowledge you need them because you gotcha. couldn't possibly operate the machine without it yeah and once i understood how the machine worked because it also works on meridians of the body yeah which for those that don't understand what meridians are in chinese medicine or in acupuncture which is that's it there's channels of energy in the body which operates on the fascial planes and the arp responds to the fascial deficiencies also gotcha so I do believe that there will be at some point products that individuals can purchase. Yeah. Um, it's just going to take a while because I know in 07, the original Therastim, which was then later re remade to ARP, in 07, that patent expired. Gotcha. And a lot of people bought the ARPs, reverse engineered, copied, brought to market. Uh, there's been quite a few that have come and gone since yeah um but it's out there you just got to dig a little bit you got to be patient you can find them in nfl locker rooms yeah but that's you you go into the pro level and the highest of the high and you see stuff that you've never seen before yeah like the hologram that you're wearing yeah you know that's i've seen a couple of nfl guys that are wearing different holograms now they may not have got them from me because i have that that's another little voodoo thing but they have them and they're looking for any edge that they can get. Yeah. But they also have to do it from a legality standpoint because you couldn't walk around the locker room going, hey, that's a red flag. Someone yeah. from the front office is going to come in. The, oh, we want to test you. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's, that's the art. Cool. Yeah. I thought it was, it's really interesting and obviously it's working because there's a ton of athletes coming in that want to hop on it, you know, so they're feeling better. You did my, leg yesterday and my I still feel like my my foot on my Achilles side my my big toe is firing better like I feel like that it feels better than it did before um, so it's really interesting and I think it's really cool how you blended all these different things together and obviously athletes are getting great results and uh, last point was this is totally swinging it back but you just showed me some pictures this morning of like it even kind of blew my mind on uh, how much muscle some of these athletes you're working with are putting in on 
you know, three months, four months, five months. Uh, and but they're not doing what you would think puts on muscle, right? No. Like you would walk, if you would walk in here, you would see the guy, people doing stuff, and you might be like, oh, that's like if you kind of got it, you'd be like, okay, these, this is going to carry over the field. They're going to be moving faster and be running fast. This is good stuff. But then to think like, oh, they're also going to put on 15, 20, 30 pounds of muscle doing this stuff. That that kind of blew my mind. Like, yeah. so I mean, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. But like the mu- the transformations that, that you just showed me were kind of like better than what I probably would get doing bodybuilding with athletes. Yeah. It was kind of nuts. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And that was another thing that, uh, and I, I don't believe there's a lot of literature on long duration isometrics. I think yeah. in the industry, most that do isometrics cap it at like 30 seconds at the most. Yeah. We're like, F that we're going five minutes. Yeah. Because apparently the Italians found that when they were doing long duration ISOs, you got to a spot where a minute 30, you kind of hit a benchmark. Three minutes, you hit a benchmark. And then five minutes, you hit a super compensatory benchmark. And I'm not saying one rep exclusively for five minutes. What I'm saying is time under tension for five minutes. You're obviously going to have breaks because your, your pyruvate's going to get through the roof. The muscle's going to heat up. It's going to shut down. So you have to use O2 to recover, blah, blah, blah. Um, But the thing is, is that you get to that five-minute mark and the body is forced to, because of the demand, create more IGF-1. And through that, that's where, I mean, all those dudes have that just, they look rocked out. Yeah. But they're flying. They're healthy. And... Then when we go into like the traditional setting and teams are going, okay, well, let's get a, we got to get marks on you and they're blowing their lifts through the roof, but yeah. they haven't touched a bar. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I, w- I would say that for, let's say the basic athlete that comes in from your traditional high school program where it's bench squat clean. Yeah. If they deep dive to what they're, we're doing, their lifts go back up like through the roof in that traditional setting. Yeah. If they kind of go, well, I like it, it's something different, and they're kind of like one foot in, one foot out, they just kind of waffle and they, they, they plateau at the same rate that they normally would in the traditional setting. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And because Mitch was a good example of that, because he told me that, you know, he trained with you all of high school and hadn't really touched cleans, and you were like, when, we, when you get there, it'll make sense. And he, he shows up to the weight room. Uh, in the college setting is asked to do cleans and he's lifting more weight than a lot of guys there as yeah. like a pretty small dude and he was it just clicked for him like yeah that makes sense because he kind of dove into it and had never done that before but was able to lift more weight than a lot of the guys been doing it their whole lives yeah so so, yeah. so and that, that reminds me um so what we were also doing with calculating forces dropping off of a box is Basically, the, the rule of thumb was every six inches, you double your weight in force. Yeah. And that can be dictated on how fast you stop or how slow you stop. But I never really had a tool up until we started using the Hawken to figure out, are we even close? Yeah. So let's assume that we were wrong. If that was our benchmark, then our benchmark was consistent through everyone that we were using. Mm-hmm. Once we used the Hawken, we then saw, okay, we're actually pretty close to those calculations, give or take four to maybe 500 pounds of force. Yeah. But I mean, if you're dropping, you know, a 200 pound athlete off of a 42 inch box, 
is that 500 pounds really making that much difference if it's 3,000 pounds of force? I don't know. Yeah. It's potentially it could based on how they're landing. But I mean, that's just going back to more of like how I would kind of think of things. That was my, those were my KPIs before I even knew what KPIs were. Yeah. It's awesome. And I, I wanted to mention too, for those that don't know, like another benefit of this isometric training too is tendon and ligament health. Big time. Right. And that's obviously those are the big injuries and the slowest healing injuries. And, uh, I mean, a lot of, of science on that, a lot of data on that you can look at is like that's well known in all, basically across all industries that like the isometric action is how you heal and uh, lengthen and strengthen yep. tendons and whatnot. So uh, you're getting both, mm -hmm. you know, you're getting both of that, like you're getting work on both sides of that spectrum. And uh, that's missed a lot in a lot of programs. And there's a lot of people with a lot of athletes that have injuries or things that don't go away, whether they're acute or not, you know? So um, it seems like you have a pretty healthy population of athletes here and they're all moving pretty well. And I've just been kind of watching out in the weight room and so it's definitely successful. But I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, host me and let me come out and check yeah, out. Love having you. All the things you're doing. And, uh, you know, my goal is to bring like something world-class to little Pocatello, Idaho, it's a small town where I grew up. And uh, this is a piece of that is coming and learning from people that in the industry I see doing a really good job. And then like you did, going and finding things that work for your population and then putting them all together into that formula and you're gonna be a big part of that. So I appreciate that. No, thanks man, love yeah. having you. Thanks for, thanks for being on. If you guys want to check out some of uh, RP stuff, definitely I'll let them, if I miss anything, go ahead and jump in. But so we, we have the new athlete Instagram. Um, and then I don't know if you do anything on any other platforms. But. Twitter is the new athlete. Okay. And then newathlete.com. Okay. And I think our TikTok is the new athlete. Okay. Yeah. So put put that in the any of those platforms. I definitely recommend going and following. They put a ton of good stuff out on Instagram. Um, maybe we can get RP to start his own podcast and <laughs> share some of the knowledge he knows, or maybe even a course down the road. I think could be in the works. But uh, again, appreciate having you on, and uh, thanks for listening, guys.